Welcome to Behind the Bookshelves. My name is Richard Davis, and this Abe Books podcast is dedicated to telling the stories behind books and the people who love them. Today, we're once again talking about William Shakespeare. Bard-related subject matter seems to come around about once a month for this podcast, but that's okay, it is William Shakespeare. We're discussing the discovery of a rare edition of Shakespeare's last play in a Scottish college in Spain. Our guest is Dr. John Stone from the University of Barcelona, who found the book, a copy of The Two Noble Kinsmen from 1634, in the library of the Real Colegio de Escoceses, which roughly translates as the Royal uh, Scots College, which is now in Salamanca. Shakespeare co-wrote the play with John Fletcher, and it's definitely one of his lesser-known works. Welcome, John. Well, thank you so much for having me. Thank you so much for uh, uh, joining us. Um, what a remarkable discovery. Can you please tell us how you found the book? Well, it came about entirely by accident, although it does have a, a book historical background to it. I've, I've been working for about five years on um, the role that Scotland played in bringing English books uh, to 18th century Spain. Um, I really concentrate on the second half of the 18th century, and I'm looking at connections between the Scottish Enlightenment and the Spanish Enlightenment. Uh, I started by working on some merchants, particularly uh, James Boswell's brother, Thomas David Boswell. And uh, through his social network, I came to learn of the Royal Scots College, uh, which many, many of the resident Scots had connections to. So I got a fellowship to go to the University of Aberdeen and work on a part of the college archive there. And I went to Salamanca to look at the other half of the college archive in the library. And what I found was uh, like an 18th century Scottish country house library in, in the middle of Spain. Uh, and in the course of doing work on that collection, I found a manuscript translation of Part of the Wealth of Nations by Adam Smith. So again, a Scottish connection. Um, and I've been asked to write an essay on that translation. In preparing the essay, I was going through the library looking for books that would have been relevant to the translation, books that would have been useful to the translator, uh, and reviews of the Wealth of Nations. So I was, I was in the part of the library that had political economy and was going through book by book. When I got to the last shelf, there was one book that seemed out of place because the binding was clearly 17th century, not 18th century. Uh, and I pulled it off the shelf and opened it up, and, and there was The Two Noble Kinsmen. The Two Noble Kinsmen is one of eight uh, quartos, eight early modern playbooks that are in that volume. Um, and so I, you know, I ran out and found the rector, the equivalent of the principal, and uh, told him right away that I, I, I thought he had the oldest Shakespeare in Spain. And what did, what did he or she say? Well, he was pretty excited. His, yeah, his name's Tom, Tom Kilbride. Right. He, he, was, he was pretty excited, and I then told him that uh, with a bit of digging, we might be able to demonstrate that it was the first Shakespeare to come to Spain. Uh, and then... You know, it took about six months of research to build up a case for that, and the case is not conclusive. There's a there's a good deal of speculation in it, uh, but it's it's certainly either the first or the second, and I believe it's probably the first. Uh, 
It's one of 19 early modern English plays that came to this institution in Madrid, uh, I think around 1640, um, by about 10 or 11 different playwrights. So it's, uh, you know, it's, it's quite an unusual and quite a wide-ranging collection. It's got a concentration on the theater of the 1620s and early 1630s. Uh, and it may have belonged to a student at the time. It may have been brought uh, at the behest of the principal or rector at the time. Uh, or it may have been left there by a diplomat or some other visitor. We, we simply don't know. We, what we do know is that um, the, the rector's handwriting is in the volume, and it's on the two noble kinsmen. And we know that there's, there's far more marginalia on the two noble kinsmen than on any other plane. And, and yet the collection doesn't seem to be a collection about Shakespeare at all. There's, there's a lot of Beaumont and Fletcher. Um, and numerically, I think John Fletcher is the best representative playwright, not Shakespeare. So it's, it's not someone with a Shakespeare fetish saying, let's bring Shakespeare to Spain. Uh, it seems to be someone with uh, a strong interest in the theater and perhaps, uh, you know, a very secondary or, se or tertiary interest in Shakespeare. So you recognized that it was special immediately? Yes, I did, yeah. Well, I, I, did, I did part of my dissertation on, um, uh, on Shakespeare criticism in 18th century Spain. So I, I knew a few things um, about the, the book historical side of that, because I always try to connect translation history, book history, and reception history. Reception history being the, you know, the history of people's reputations. Um, so I, you know, I, I knew that uh, an English college in Spain had had a second folio. I knew what had happened to the second folio because it's no longer in Spain. I knew that the second folio had been expurgated by the Inquisition, by the Holy Office. Um, and I, I knew from uh, checking the, the Union catalog and you know, various um, historic university collection catalogs that there were no uh, English plays, or editions, rather, of English plays in Spain that predated about 1720. So this, you know, this was nearly a century earlier, uh, and of course Shakespeare was involved, and Shakespeare always makes headlines, and, and has made headlines. So the marginalia of the rector that you spotted, that was the college's rector from approximately after... 1634? Uh, no, he became rector in 1627 and served as rector until his, his death in the 1650s. Uh, and he, he was a, an ambitious man. Uh, I mean, he was a mathematics teacher at the Imperial College in Madrid. Uh, he, he knew Lope de Vega. Lope de Vega collapsed uh, at the Scots College in Madrid and was taken to his house and died there a few days later. Um, and he was certainly in contact with uh, some of the king's ministers. And it seems that in the late 1630s, he was fishing for uh, work as a diplomat. He wanted to be included on diplomatic missions representing the Spanish crown in London as some negotiations were undertaken. Uh, and he was in, in contact with some English diplomats who were in Madrid in the same period, one of whom was a Scot. Uh, and I, I rather suspect that the plays came to Madrid with this visiting Scottish aristocrat in about 1639. 
because he'd been resident in London. Uh, he's the sort of person who would have gone to the theater quite often. Um, and because um, familiarity with the theater was part of elite culture in, in that period, in the Caroline period. So it would make perfect sense for this sort of individual to, uh, to have playbooks. And it's, his name is uh, James Erskine, and he was Earl of Buchan. Uh, and he's, he's not very well known outside of a few diplomatic histories. And, but then again, he's got the Scottish connection, um, which, you know, it, it's, it gives you an even stronger case for his connections with the Scots College. So why was and why is there a Scottish college in Spain? Oh, uh, well, as often happens, it's because there was an endowment. Um, there was um, a Scottish Catholic military officer. I can't remember if he was a convert or not, uh, by, also by the name of Semple, uh, which was the, the name of the first rector, um, William Semple. And William Semple went into the, the service of the Spanish crown. In the early modern period, and really up to the French Revolution, in old regime Europe, uh, you could be a, t a town governor, or you could be a military governor in a colonial empire, uh, or you could be a high-ranking general in the French service, or, or you know, the King of Prussia's service, or the King of Spain's service, without being from Prussia or France or Spain. Uh, so, you know, at, at this very elite level, there was a, a great deal of uh, movement. And uh, it wasn't at all unusual for um, someone to seek their fortune in the service of another king. So this William Semple went to Madrid. He married um, an, a, a Spanish aristocrat, and they had some money, they had some property, and they just, because they were Catholic, and Catholicism was very much a minority in Scotland, uh, suffered a great deal of discrimination, they decided to uh, put their money into the foundation of a college for the, the training of young Scots with an eye to the priesthood and returning to the Scottish mission. Uh, it's called a mission because there's no structure of diocese in Scotland at that time, uh, because, of course, the Catholic Church was underground. Um, and that's that's what the statute stipulated in the 1620s, and that's still the mission of the, of the college today. Uh, the college, curiously, owns property in central Madrid uh, that gives the college a very healthy income, um, as they've now moved to Salamanca. They, uh, they were compensated when some of their old buildings were torn down and a major boulevard put through, and they were given property in another part of the city, and that's, that's the property that funds them. So they had an endowment then, and they were able to secure uh, further landed property to add to their endowment in the 17th century, and they have an endowment now, and they, they take very good care of the archival material that they're sitting on and on, on the library that they're sitting on. So it's, it's a remarkable institution, but the, the catalog is not online, uh, the, the archive catalog is partly online but difficult to access uh, and the institution is just not very well known in Spain it's, it's, it's a bit better known in Scotland I mean if um, if I'm talking to any 18th century specialist in Scotland they they know about it you know they know that it existed because of the, the role that it played it rings a bell for people right. people know about these Scottish Catholic colleges abroad 
So what uh, is going to happen to the book now? Is there going to be further research into its provenance? Yeah, no, I've, I've started to work on uh, a second article, which I'm going to do with um, a Salamanca book historian who's in the Faculty of Library Science there. Uh, now, unfortunately, for a long time, she wasn't able to uh, visit the college because of the pandemic. Although she's living in the same city, she lives with a, an immunocompromised person uh, and needs to take very extreme precautions. So to, to start work, she had uh, very high-resolution photographs. I think she's been to the college once since then to examine the volume. So we have, we have to look at the binding of that volume uh, and at the binding of the other volume that contains um, a further 11 plays. Uh, and see if there's any evidence of earlier binding to see if these, you know, see if these books were rebound, uh, whether they were bound individually or in smaller sets. Uh, I tend to think that the binding on the volume where the Shakespeare is uh, is English. Uh, the binding on the other volume is 18th century, and it's clearly Spanish. So. You know, I, th I think those eight plays came to Spain already bound, having been bound in England. Um, the, the funny thing is that they, they're quite banged up. Um, but, I, you know, it's, it's not clear whether they were quite banged up before being bound or, or uh, after having been bound. And the play there, there might even have been some rebinding with the original covers. Right. And the play itself, it's, so, yeah. it's, it's not that well known. Can you briefly describe what the, the story is and, and the nature of the play? Uh, it's, it's based on the knight's tale from Chaucer. Um, so it's, uh, two knights are f good friends and they see a woman out a window and that sort of thing. You know, I, have to, I have to say, it's Shakespeare that I haven't read. And although I've, I've read pretty well ev bits of every page, uh, as I've looked at the, the marginalia, I, I don't really have a good notion of the plot. Right. Um, I, you know, I should sit down and, and read it cover to cover without, without constantly thinking about little pencil marks in the, in the margin. <laughs> so, I've, you know, I've read, I've, read, I've read speeches, and I know that there's a lot of scholarly work to distinguish those parts which are by Fletcher from those parts which are by Shakespeare. But it is accepted that it's a collaborative work of Shakespeare's. So that, you know, some, some of it is and is accepted as Shakespeare's, yeah. And Fletcher, so he was, he worked with Shakespeare on plays that were performed by Shakespeare's company. They they were yeah, I, I, collaborators, I, I guess. Yes, I, I seem to recall that they collaborated on two plays. Um, Fletcher was the, the younger playwright working with the same company and, uh, and would have been, you know, more productive and more prominent after Shakespeare retired. Um... I, what, what I can't remember is whether Sh Fletcher is connected to the lost Shakespeare play that everyone expects to be found in Spain someday, if it's found anywhere, uh, just because it's based on some uh, text by Cervantes, uh, and it's set in Spain. It's called Cardenio, uh, and if, if you know anyone ever finds it, it will be the biggest Shakespeare find in, in hundreds of years, because it's, it's you know, the lost Shakespeare play. We know about performances of it. Uh, there's, there's an 18th century Shakespeare editor who claimed that he had access, I think, to some of the rough papers. Uh, but there, there are no extant print copies of it. 
although it was entered in the stationer's register, so that, that indicates that someone was looking to print it. It doesn't prove that they did print it. So you really do need to keep going through old libraries in Spain then, John? Uh, yes, yeah, well, that's the plan. Um, although I'm not a 17th century specialist, I, I do continue to uh, intend... Sorry, I do intend to continue to work as much as I can on English print in Spain. One final question, which we ask all our guests, and that is, what book or books are you currently reading? I'm, I'm reading a collection of essays by Christopher Hitchens. Uh, I'm, I'm from Toronto originally, and I still listen to CBC radio. Uh, and I used to be a a great regular listener of a program called the Sunday Edition, and the former host of the Sunday Edition had interviewed Hitchens a number of times, and when when he retired, he mentioned Hitchens again. I, I'd never really read Hitchens, so I, I ordered uh, a collection of essays, but I can't remember the title off the top of my head. That's okay. Um, but it's... Um, I think it's entitled Arguably or Argued or something of that sort. I think Argue is in the title. So, yeah, no, I'm, I'm getting my taste of Christopher Hitchens. So you're, you're primarily a, a non-fiction reader, or do you completely move away into things like fiction? I tend to read fiction in the summertime because during the academic year, I'm reading fiction at its work. So if I'm rereading a Jane Austen novel, I have to think about teaching. Uh, and it's not quite the same as reading fiction without that that commitment to teaching. So yeah, no, I do I do read fiction. Right, okay. Uh, all right. That's all we have uh, time for this week. Uh, many thanks to John Stone, who is the Programme Director for English Literature at the University of Barcelona. Thank you so much, John. Well, thank you so much for having me. Yes, thank you for uh, telling us about this wonderful discovery and uh, good luck with your further research. Um, Thanks for listening. Thank you so much. Yep, thank you. Thanks for listening. Uh, My name is Richard Davis, and you've been listening to an Abe Books podcast, and we'll see you all again soon. Thank you.